Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, SDS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. After nine plus years, Don Adelson finally appeared in a Tallahassee courtroom to hear the charges levied against her, including murder and conspiracy to kill her son-in-law, FSU law professor Dan Markell. Uh, the following day, her son, Charlie Adelson, was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Since then, Charlie's jailhouse calls have been released. I'm trying to get my hands on Donna's calls as well. We're working on that because those should be ready and out. Uh, even more uh, material coming from uh, Donna Adelson uh, eventually. No doubt she's been on uh, that jailhouse phone as well. Uh, Gigi McKelvey, the great Gigi McKelvey, who's been posting all of this on Pretty Lies and Alibis. Uh, she had a last-minute emergency that she could not escape from, so she is planning to join us tomorrow. But the panel we put together today is second to none. Uh, the man uh, who looks like he's never been on the show has never been on the show before, Peter Edwards, top right corner. He is with the Toronto Star but not only that, he is the best-selling author of 15 nonfiction books and one young adult novel. He's also executive producer for the City TV series Bad Blood, City TV series Bad Blood, uh, based on his uh, book Business or Blood, Mafia Boss Vito Rizzuto's Last War, which he co-authored with an Italian journalist. He's been awarded an Eagle Feather from the Union of Ontario Indians and a gold medal from the Center for Human Rights. Uh, he specializes in crime reporting at the Toronto Star, and he just wrote an article about this entire case interviewing Ruth Markell, the man with the bovine in the background and its alliteration. That is uh, Stephen Webster. Uh, he is one half of Webster and Baptiste Attorneys at Law. His partner, Lewis, has been on the show a bunch of times and will be back. Stephen was Dan Markell's post-divorce attorney. And last but not least, the man with the attractive-looking ceiling fan. That is Preston Scott. He is the host of the morning show with Preston Scott in Tallahassee. He's lived in Tallahassee since 1987. That's when I graduated high school, by the way, and hosted the Preston uh, Scott Show since 2002. Here's a fun fact. He's the son of legendary sportscaster Ray Scott, former uh, partner of Pat Summerall. They called the first two Super Bowls. Uh, Pat Summerall, a legend, obviously, as is Ray Scott in the broadcasting world. Um couple of quick reminders, please, if you can, support us on Patreon and or YouTube. Please, when you're in the car, listen to us on audio because the uh, audio goes a long way in helping us. If you can give us five stars there, that would be great. The COE is all over the merch store. Uh, we, we surpassed 90,000 subs yesterday. That is only because STS Nation, as I always say, best guest, better community. Ned Smith already chiming in. John Madden was wonderful as well. Special, special guys. And uh, John Madden's specialty was eating those turkeys uh, on Thanksgiving. Uh, we've got, oh, by the way, there it is. Thank you to, for 90,000 subs. This question, 
by the way, the reason we're on early today, the COE's last time she was dragging me to a wedding and uh, tonight she's dragging me to a dinner that I cannot escape from. So we're doing the early show time and we're doing early tomorrow because tomorrow night we're doing the event at Jafco here in Sunrise, Florida. It is not too late. You can still buy your tickets. Ruth Markell will be the keynote speaker there, along with Dave Arenberg, the Florida State Attorney, and Dennis Murphy of Dateline NBC, and yours truly will be moderating that tomorrow. Uh, if you're in town, in the area, here in Florida for vacation, come to Sunrise, 7 o'clock tomorrow. And just now, we are announcing, listen to this, if you're home alone on the holidays, uh, on Christmas, maybe your family is irritating the crap out of you, well, guess what? We're going to do... Christmas with Carm. Uh, being that she's Jewish, she said, can we call it holidays with, like, with Carm? And I said, no, because Christmas with Carm has a better ring. And it's going to be me and her ask us absolutely anything, uh, why she curses so much, um, why she doesn't curse anymore. You can ask us. We'll, we'll focus on the Adelsons. <clears throat> just absolutely anything. I'll figure out a time Monday, either 5 or 7 p.m. Eastern time. We will be live. Christmas Day. And then uh, Perspectives on Trial Life. Uh, this is it. This is the Jafco event. I will put this back out on social today. And uh, remember, if you are in town, please join us. A legal question right out of the uh, box here coming in. Afternoon shows are a little different, a little more uh, wild. By the way, this will be the fastest uh, hour and 15 to hour and a half uh, of your life. So buckle up. Steve Webster, question right here. If Wendy's arrested, will she get bail? It's putting the cart ahead of the horse, but what, what, do you, what do you think? Well, it would depend on the charge. If she was arrested for conspiracy and murder like the other defendants, then she wouldn't necessarily be entitled to bail. Um, <clears throat> I wouldn't expect bail if she was arrested under those, uh, under those same charges. If it was for something other than that, then I would expect bail. Um, we talked about it before. Bail is designed in our system of jurisprudence to serve two purposes. One, to ensure that a defendant will appear in court as ordered, and two, to protect the community. So conditions of bail that can be affixed that will protect the community should be selected over incarceration, if at all available. But with, when it comes to murder, you just don't have that right. And that's when it becomes uh, the, the courts have far more latitude to deny it. Uh, Peter, welcome. First time as a best guest. Hope to have you back. Uh, he's with the Toronto Star, uh, dare I say, uh, sort of the equivalent of the New York Times of uh, Canada, um, a sophisticated newspaper. Uh, Peter, what what um what piqued your interest in the Dan Markell, you know, murder story? It's, you were telling me off camera that it's you know it's a fascinating case. You've obviously covered a lot of true crime. What is it about this case? Um, first, that it was a contract killing. I do a lot of organized crime uh, reporting, like that's my specialty. The second part was that it had a really easy theme, you know, in-laws from hell, like it was. Um, sometimes when you're writing a book, your, your tricky part is after the semicolon, what do you put in? And this one, um, uh, the uh, div you know, divorce from hell, in-laws from hell, that was pretty easy to um, to twig in on. So th those would be the big things. Also, a... Um, a Canadian boy who seemed to make good, and then all of a sudden, you, you know, everything falls apart. Yeah, it's, it's pretty definitely. hard to resist, really. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's a big part of it. Uh, he is from Toronto, uh, went to Harvard undergrad, Harvard grad uh, law school for Dan Markell. 
Preston, uh, you and I were trying to figure out the last time you were on the show, but both of our memories are failing. So uh, the audience might remember, but we it's all it's all new to us. So I think you said it was uh, prior to, to Donna's arrest. Is that what you're saying? Um, if so, um, what what do you think about where we're at right now? Did you think it would ever move as quickly as it has with Donna now behind bars? I I actually did. Um, I think what surprised me was that she basically gave herself up. You know, uh, how foolish could one be to try to flee the country with one-way tickets to Vietnam? My God. Um, but I, I did think it would happen pretty quickly after Charlie's conviction. There's just too much. There's just way too much evidence there. And, you know, I'll just, again, remind those who might be watching I was, and I say fortunate, I actually tried to get myself out of it when I was asked to serve on a grand jury many years ago in Leon County because of what I do. I, I talk about these cases routinely on the show, and uh, the district attorney, the state attorney at that time was Willie Meggs, and uh, Willie said, I have confidence that you'll be able to walk the line and not discuss anything that you hear behind closed doors. And what I remember most though, Joel, is that there was not one singular case that we came across and all of them were capital murder cases that had as much circumstantial evidence as this case. And so to me, it was just a matter of time. Yeah. It's interesting, by the way, Christy Ferris, hi from Tallahassee. Yay. Preston Scott. She's obviously watching the morning show with Preston Scott. Um, Stephen, I was going to come to you with a different question. I'll circle back. But to Preston's point about circumstantial evidence, there were a couple people in the chat yesterday sort of playing devil's advocate and asking, well, what direct evidence do they have with Donna here? What would your response be? Well, the, the bump, the statement she made after the bump, that it probably involves the two of us, I think that could certainly be construed as an admission. <clears throat> now, her, like, like Preston said, buying a one-way ticket to Vietnam at the end of the day, that shows consciousness of guilt. Um, in addition to the, the comments she made on, on the, the phone call. So, you know, there's some testimony that she came over and washed the money, like lip physically washed the money, <laughs> which is a new one for me. <laughs> um, so I think that that would, op would count as direct evidence. So at the end of the day, I believe there is certainly more than enough to get it to a jury. And I believe that the same outcome that we just saw will occur and perhaps in quicker fashion. Uh, I don't believe that Donna Adelson will will handle cross-examination very well. I'm not even sure she can, she can sit in the courtroom and monitor and police her own behavior and facial expressions uh, to a degree that will be beneficial to her defense. By the way, tomorrow we also have, uh, along with Gigi McKelvey, who's one of the sweetest, nicest, innocent people you ever meet we've got a prison a female prison warden coming on to talk about uh life behind bars that should be interesting now when you do day shows you start to learn what people do uh the philadelphia shoulder surgeon that's pretty obvious but would you want her watching sts while performing on your shoulder uh probably less so than uh brianna or brianne i'm showing up while in cosmetology school i'd rather have the mascara uh, spread across my face than um, <laughs> than the scalpel across my sh shoulder here. Joel, do you sometimes feel like the COE's uh, eye candy 
when she drags you everywhere. It's the other way around. I'm the uh, I'm the trophy husband, and she is <laughs> she's the wife. Uh, I just do as I'm told. She's been a little upset with me the last couple of days because I'm barking orders, um, but she's handling it well. Um, Monday Monday was a real Monday yesterday. Ned Smith, thank you for uh, offering this up. Uh, Peter, I got to ask you, there's another case that we covered, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm, I'm fascinated. If you guys don't know about Honey and Barry Sherman, it's another massive, oh, there we go. Full disclosure, I am not in surgery today, Joel. That's okay then. Just ignore your patients. Um, just make sure you're looking at the x-rays properly. That's all. Um, Peter, Honey and uh, Barry Sherman, they, they were billionaires in Toronto and they were found murdered in their home. And I think it's close to six years now. I think this winter might be six years unsolved. You talk, you specialize in uh, murder for hires. Do, do you think that was a murder for hire? It, it sure seems like it was. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's um, it's it's kind of hard to go on a website now and not find a murder for hire. Like you, you kind of are, are picking over the the bigger ones. Um, that one, um, it's amazing how kind of leaky that the case is in a way. Like it keeps coming out in the media, but um, I yeah, six years haven't got anything. Um, there, there, there's a lot of um, a lot going on up here. Like it's it's pretty diverse, and so a um, um, it's sort of odd, but there's kind of a hitman community up here. I, I talked to one guy who's in on planning hits, who's a cooperating witness, and oh, uh, he boy. talks about who pays and who doesn't. You know, like the some some groups brag that they don't have to pay because they're so loyal, they just do them to move up. And um, it, it's weird, but there's kind of a hierarchy even in that stuff. And it's just not the way it was when I started at the start. Back then, um, you'd be asking where to get the gun. Now, they, um, you know, it's way beyond that. Well, I thought Canada was a very civil country. As a matter of fact, um, being in Miami, I'm from Jersey originally, Peter, but my kids were begging to feel cold weather. And uh, I told them, go outside. It's 65 right now. But they said it wasn't good enough for them. So uh, we're taking them to Montreal, Quebec, Canada for a little getaway. And uh, now I don't know if I should be going with realizing there's hitmen all over Canada. I, don't know, I, I, I had no idea. Uh, Gretchen, That's one way to keep immigration down. Yeah. <laughs> Gretchen here with uh, I told the afternoons are a little different than evening shows. Um, Gretchen with the rhetorical question, I believe, unless unless Peter might have an answer here. Can anyone recall another case where there was literal money laundering as in money actually being washed? Peter, do you ever remember a case where the money was actually literally washed? Um, what I'm hearing from this guy who's a cooperating witness on the West Coast is there's more, um, um, I'll do the hit and you give me this. You know, you give me mm. the cocaine, I'll do the hit, like pay him with, with drugs. And so you that way it doesn't show up in your bank account and it's tougher for authorities to track money. Mm. So sort of, um, you know, paying with goods, paying with services. And hey, Peter, so let me ask that you. Counts. Yeah, Peter. So we're, we're, you know, obviously very focused on the Dan Markell case and, you know, his murder, uh, as you said, by hired hitmen. But just across the top of the state in Jacksonville, there's a new case. It's uh, Shanna Gardner and Jared Bridegan. He was murdered. It was another uh, uh, murder for hire. Why is this seemingly becoming um, sort of a murder of choice? Why is it so popular? 
Um, I, I think some of it is that the, a lot of the connections are now on the internet. They're not geographic like it used to be. You'd say a street name and everybody knew what you're talking about. Now we've got a guy, Robbie Al-Khalil, who was running a gang and nobody knows what continent he's on. Like he broke out of out of custody when he's facing murder charges and he'd already been convicted of other murder charges and he can uh, run this thing um, with encrypted internet. There's a, a case I'm working on now where a guy got into a, who well, was in a fair bit of trouble because he supplied encrypted internet for gangsters and um, um, Canada's pretty lax on that, but in France and uh, the Netherlands, they're pretty tough. So now he's kind of kind of running and hiding and the hell's angels have taken him in because he knows he can get secrets of their enemies. It's the internet's changed. I guess the short answer is the internet's changed crime just as much as it's changed newspapers or any other business. Wow. Uh, that's sort of scary to, to, we've had people on who, uh, you know, study child predators. And I've said this before, they say that the predator is now lurking in your child's bedroom because they're on the tablet or the cell phone where they used to lure them with candy from the old man. So things have gotten scarier. Um, to you, Stephen, from Linda, why did Wendy divorce Dan? What's the simple answer on that? We always talk about the murder, but do we know? And but before there's a caveat there, um, was there something going on at the time where um, Dan was threatening to basically uh, get her disbarred for some reason? Because people, a couple of people had emailed me about that. <clears throat> Not at the time of the divorce. As far as threats to disbar, ever disbarred, I don't, <clears throat> I don't recall there being any specific threat to that extent. But certainly what Dan was alleging Wendy had done could have caused serious problems with her um, in the Florida bar as far as not being candid in her financial filings that she filed with the court, um, not failing to disclose assets on those uh, financial disclosure forms under oath with the court would kind of be a double whammy uh, with respect to candor to the court and honesty, integrity that the Florida bar takes pretty seriously with lawyers. As far as her reasons for the divorce, I really don't know. I mean, you know, I think like every marriage, there were there were some problems and some issues. But uh, I do believe that Dan was blindsided when he came home and she had cleared out the house and left divorce papers on the counter. By the way, I got some hate mail, uh, maybe from Wendy Adelson using a uh, pseudonym that uh, Wendy did not empty the house. I, I said she emptied the house. And I got some hate mail saying she didn't empty the house. She left uh, a napkin on the floor, whatever she left. So. Um, I stand corrected. Uh, Teresa Bringas, uh, Preston, to you, um, we've discussed this. None of us think that there will be here. But if there was a change of venue, would Georgia Kappelman still prosecute this case against Donna? And where would that venue be? Do you think there's any chance there's a change of venue? We didn't see it with Charlie, Preston. I, I would argue that and, and, you know, Stephen would be far better uh, closer to the legal side of this to answer it. I'm sure within the boundary of what's actually likely, I would argue she's got her change of venue. She's 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 in Tallahassee, the place she hated. Um, you know, she's from Miami. Uh, she's from the South Beach area. Here's her change of venue. Um, you know, uh, this is where the crime was committed. And so there's no reason for it to be moved. And I highly doubt it would ever be moved. Kathy Slocum, you better get out of Vancouver. I've never been. I'm dying to visit, but there's a lot of hitmen there from what I hear. Um, John Barth, listen here in Nolens. Love Nolens. Uh, Stephen Webster, anything you want to add to that? Any chance in hell there's a change of venue? 
No, and it's it's not unique to the Adelsons. My father-in-law is a preeminent white-collar criminal defense lawyer. He's handled a lot of high-profile cases. We've worked on this in the past, briefed this. I've worked with him. Obtaining a change of venue is is absolutely unusual, highly, highly unusual. Um, they're not the first ones that have that have had to find a jury uh, here in Leon County when there was a lot of publicity surrounding the event. So I know that in their jail phone calls, they Charlie's harping on that, and understandably so, and Donna does as well. But they, <clears throat> it's it's a very, very, very high burden to meet, and it's rarely met. Mm. Um, I'm glad Oksana brought this up because this is actually on the thumbnail. Uh, do you think Charlie is setting up Wendy mm -hmm. on the jail calls as well as preparing for unfair jury uh, by uh, unfair jury basis appeal? Thank you and hello from uh, Ohio. Preston, just back to you on this. We're about to listen to a couple of these calls. Um, as Steve Cohen, our amazing producer, always says, don't point the finger, point the thumb. But uh, in this case, the Adelsons are pointing the finger at everyone and no thumb anywhere. Uh, does it sound to you, and I don't know how many of these calls you've listened to, but like I said, we're about to listen to a couple, and I hope the COE is going to load in a few more. But um, does it sound like they're literally you know, busting at the seams here, breaking apart, and there is a possibility that either Donna and or Charlie flip on the beloved daughter slash sister? You know, originally, Joel, I never thought that would possibly happen. But as I'm seeing there being a fracture between Donna and Wendy and some terseness in texting and, you know, some of the calls I have heard of Donna, which, quite frankly, are just remarkable on a whole lot of levels. I would say that if things get worse and worse between Wendy and Donna, um. I can see there being the potential of, of that fissure becoming a real legal problem for Wendy. Um, because right now, it's it from the outside, it appears as though Wendy is cutting off everybody and, you know, trying to create this island around her and the two boys. And, you know, I, if I may, I'd like to segue into a question for Stephen. Sure. If... If Wendy were to be arrested, and I think I think a lot of us right now that have followed this case think that that's a little bit of a long shot, but it's not impossible to see it happen for a lot of reasons. What happens to the boys then? Well, <clears throat> I wish my law partner was here, Lewis, but he's actually on his honeymoon because he, he knows oh. Chapter 39 backwards and forwards. But the courts would determine that there would be basically a a hearing as to where the children would be placed. I mean, immediately they would be placed in foster care and then the court would have to determine um, as, as soon as possible. I think Lewis said it's within 72 hours that it's mandatory. They have a hearing to determine where, what would be an appropriate placement. <clears throat> you know, my preference would be, you know, Sh Shelly Markell. You know, I, my understanding is that I think there's cousins there. You know, like we talked about it once before, it, there's a lot of, concerns about that. You have two boys that their lives would be completely disrupted to kind of add insult to already an existing injury, and they could be thrust into an environment that would be completely foreign to them. I, I don't think it would be a real easy determination for the court necessarily to make, but you would certainly, I think, expect family 
uh, to be identified as where the children would best be placed. <clears throat> so that would be my expectation, Preston. Go ahead, Preston. Well, I, I just, I, you talk about victims. Mm -hmm. Those two boys have been not just losing their dad, but now their whole family is being picked apart. And rightfully so. We're, we're talking about justice for Dan Markell. And whoever's involved in this case needs to be brought to justice. But those boys have been also brainwashed. I would use that word. They have had their name changed, their father's identity stripped from their life. I don't care what, how Wendy tries to posture this. That may be the, uh, beyond the murder of their father, that is the cruelest thing that I think has happened in this entire ordeal is that, that those boys have lost their connection to their dad. In, in not, and, and the obvious side is the physical part of it, obviously. But, but the name, the identification with his parents and family on that side, that is just so beyond cruel to me. And if anything, that's where Wendy, to me, reveals her real self. And that, to me, is one of the greatest indicative parts to me that would say she knows a whole lot more than than she's ever going to admit to it'll have to be proven but you know because because if she was not involved at all and she's being blindsided by what's happened around her with her brother and now her mother and oh my god my family did murder man i'm building relationships with the markells if I had nothing to do with it, I'm building those relationships. I'm making sure that my sons have a cohesive family of some kind around them to help them process all of this. She has done the opposite. And you talk about, you know, consciousness of guilt with Donna's uh, fleeing the country. To me, Wendy's actions have been a nonstop consciousness of guilt. Uh, that's an amazing point. I never, ever thought of that, but you're right. Um, you know, on the calls, you never hear them, you know, uh, claiming their innocence. They're just, again, pointing the finger. And we're going to get to that in, in, in just a second. But I never heard it phrased quite that way. And uh, one of the ironies is on uh, these jailhouse calls, you hear Charlie bemoaning the fact that his own son, Roman, who he calls Roro, that's heartbreaking, by the way, because yep. at one point on the calls, you hear him say, hey, buddy, love you to Roman. And and Roman says, love you more, dad. And uh, I've got a four-year-old, soon to be five-year-old. Heartbreaking. All these kids are caught in the proverbial uh, crossfire, and it's horrific. Um, Peter, to you, because uh, we were talking about, you know, will Wendy flip, um, I mean, will Don or Charlie flip on Wendy? What's been your experience, um, you know, when the, the rubber meets the so-called road, what happens to these families that are embroiled in these kinds of criminal activities? They start to break down and, and just point the fingers at each other. A lot of times people find a little offense and really build on it. Like they find something and they almost nurture the, the offense. There are some though, the, um, uh, the child mother one, um, it's amazing. Like I've talked to Hell's Angels who have killed people and they won't say a bad word about their mother. Um, this guy um, I'm talking to now who's a cooperating witness. He had a, a pretty hellish childhood, including getting his father's ashes for his seventh birthday you know, in, a, in a cake box. I mean, it was some of the stuff that happened was off the charts, but he still won't say a bad thing about his mother. So that uh, mother-child bond is, um, I, I'm 
never cease to be amazed at how strong that is. That is very true. Uh, Mark M., um, uh, qu- question from your Scottish contingent uh, to you, Stephen Webster. Do you think we'll ever hear the words, Donna Adelson will testify? We saw Charlie. Do you think Donna would go up there? She was already a bit of a nightmare in court the other day. Uh, she couldn't stop talking. Do you think she'd ever testify? She might demand to. The word on the street is that Donna is shopping around for local council. I do believe that there is merit to that rumor. Uh, I would expect that local council will determine that she has to testify. You know, the like Preston said, the circumstantial evidence is just overwhelming at this point. And now uh, you have admissions by Charlie Adelson as to certain kind of uh, items or elements of proof that I think could be introduced, period. So she's somebody's going to have to get up there and try to rebut it from her perspective. And the only person that can do that is going to be Donna Adelson. So I think it will be obviously a a tough task for the attorney to prepare Donna to testify. I agree. Uh, So far, what we've seen from her, she has no impulse control. Uh, She thinks that she is the most important person in the room at all times. Uh, She thinks she's above and beyond any sort of expectation of decorum. And she's the victim. So all of those. Uh, traits and beliefs and opinions have not served her well at all thus far in her brief court appearances. And the defense attorney is certainly going to have their work cut out for them, but I believe they have to put her on the stand. Uh, Peter, again, from your vast experience dealing with uh, the criminal element, um, from Julie Schur to the point we were just making, why don't any of these calls contain the words extortion and his innocence? I'm listening to them ad nauseum. Uh, in your opinion, how come the Adelsons? aren't saying we're innocent uh, and talking about the, the fact that we were extorted? Um, yeah, great question. I mean, sometimes it's hard to get get a, you can only spit out so much of a lie at one time. Like you, you stick to smaller, smaller things. Um, there, there, there is, there is a, the sense of victimhood is off the charts though. Like, like the, um, and then the idea that we couldn't get one juror, like we're that loathsome, that one we couldn't turn one of them. Um, it, it is hard. I mean, everybody thinks that when they tell the big lie, someone can read their face. And so they, you know, you give them a little bit and see how they take it. Um, a lot of people do play calls from jail, too. Like they think they're controlling it and they think they can mislead authorities. Like I, I know a bad guy who talked when this car is being bugged to start talking about bodies and trunks and that sort of thing, just so we could send police off on, mm. on little wild goose chases. So it, a lot of these guys start off thinking they're controlling the narrative and then they kind of lose it halfway through and, and let out something they shouldn't have let out. Mm. I, have a, I have a lot of questions for Peter. He's, he covers fascinating stuff here. Southern charm, the best Hanukkah gift <laughs> you could ever give me. I tell everybody about this podcast, please SDS nation, share it with everybody. Uh, that is truly the best uh, gift uh, you can give to the COE, Space Coast, myself, all the mods. Uh, share the show with people. Michael uh, Altman, Wendy would definitely flee. We know, we now know Donna was trying to. Let's get into it. Let's listen to this first call, um, and then we'll have uh, our experts, the best guests, break it down. Let's see if this uh, this is uh, Charlie whining about the uh, state basically making up uh, stuff. Thank you, COE. Um, I only see three up here, COE. Maybe you can add another one or two, but here we go. Here we go. Hey, 
with it say something? Did, yeah. And then it's like, okay, did, did with it say something? Did, you know, did, you know did, did I screw up something? Did Dan screw up something? Like, no. It's called the entire fit that they were able to make and taking things out of context and teasing that or when did you run up at the class sheet? Is it, is it enough to say the other And also dressing up a reasonable doubt to make it feel like, you can find the best, you know, if you think you kill people, listen, I think that somebody's showing up at the scene of the crime and they don't have a fucking real good reason why they're there to pass out, I say that's super busy. Yeah. I understand. I understand. Like, you showed up at the scene of the crime. Like, how else do you, you know, if that was the only thing, that would be one thing. But it's like, that's why the showing up at the scene of the crime and the fucking TV became, like, two things pounding in people's beds. And you combine that with all the other fluff, and you have exactly Exactly what I said is going to happen. That's how it happens. My, my words were you don't stand a fucking chance. Uh, don't stand an effing chance, a pile of S that the state put on. Preston, <laughs> your, uh, your response to hearing that beautiful piece of sound. Well, I have to go ahead and throw out that that I received uh, an email from someone who is, uh, I know, a friend of, of the effort Justice for Dan and is a reporter as well covering this that suggested Charlie was listening to my radio program when I can't tell you how happy that made me to know that I was helping him occupy time uh, waiting for trial and perhaps in the, in the wake of it, because I was told in the wake of trial, he'd been listening to the program. Obviously I have no way of knowing that, but it certainly is, is possible. That said, if I'm hearing right, and Peter, Stephen, you tell me if you heard it the way I did, he actually boiled his, his conviction down to showing up at the scene of a crime, which wasn't him that that was even addressing, and a TV. Did he, like, just forget the rest of it? Was he so enamored with that one little girl that came in, reacted like a, a, a little boy with a crush in middle school, that he forgot all the other evidence? Did he, did he forget about his comment at the Dolce Vita, where he said if they had anything, we'd have been to the airport 30 days ago? I mean, good grief. Talk about delusional. But at no point does he ever say, I'm innocent. At no point does he explain why the extortion stopped. Go ahead, Peter. Uh, the part that hit me was just how he um, he's just marinating and being a victim. I thought that was a Canadian thing. And I guess, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where it got going, but I mean, we had, if we had victim Olympics, we'd be on the podium all the time. Like, but. <laughs> But it's to see this guy could we could honorarily make him a Canadian tomorrow if he could play hockey, we'd do something with him. 
Like he, uh, I was just astounded at how he's uh, wallowing and feeling sorry for himself. And I mean, you've got a dead person, you've got um, two two kids that are really suffering. You've got you know all these nice people whose lives have been turned upside down, and he's he's whining away. Uh, um, I found that pretty astounding. Um, I, I and also, I mean, another part, and this is a bit off topic, but boy, am I glad this guy never worked on my teeth. Like, I'm glad, I'm glad when I had dental surgery, it wasn't him doing the job. Yeah. Um, I, like, I need to have to nod my head to this when he's got a scalpel in my mouth. Yeah, apparently he's not the uh, the best of periodontists. And I'm uh, talking quietly to some people that used to work with Charlie and uh, hoping that uh, they will come on the show soon enough to speak. Uh, Stephen, you know, these are all points that we've made before, uh, not, you know, not taking any of the blame, obviously. He apparently thinks he is innocent in all this, but as Preston pointed out, he also has forgotten about three quarters of the story, if not seven eighths. Uh, what do you make of listening to that? I'd like to begin by saying he actually mentioned Preston Scott in one of the jail in one of the jail calls. Hmm. He talked about your show, Preston. So, oh my gosh, yeah, I gotta I gotta write my bosses up the chain about that. That's I did not know that. There you go. Mazel tov, as they say. What, what do you say about Preston? He he basically said he was talking about Tallahassee and how he was, you know, he didn't stand a chance here. He said, you know, this Preston Scott, mm. and he, he just and he threw the name in there to somebody I believe that was from South Florida, and so I kind of got a kick out of it that it, <laughs> it, that it just was sticking in his craw that much, Preston. By the way, but, Preston, uh, better you than me on this one. Uh, the guy <laughs> hires uh, hitmen, so better look over your shoulder. But you know, he talked about context and. Uh, it is remarkable how he forgets about the context because but part of the important context to me is that on November 1st, 2013, he sent a text message to his mom where he basically described Dan Markell as the worst mistake his sister ever made. Uh, he said that this, the second worst mistake she almost made was buying a house in Tallahassee. And he, he said at first that that was the worst mistake she would have made if she had done it. And then he said, well, second worst mistake. We all know what he meant by that, uh, who, what the, the worst mistake was. And, you know, he talks about coincidences and context. And, it, you know, it, it's a heck of a coincidence that he gave one hundred and thirty eight thousand uh, dollars to the people that murdered the worst mistake his sister ever made on the day that she was that he was murdered. Um, somehow, like he just forgot all about that. And Preston, when you talk about him flirting with a girl in court, I mean, are you talking about where he, he wasn't, he was flirting with Wendy and he, but he didn't realize that that was Wendy until his lawyer said, Hey, stop, stop talking to your, looking at your sister that way. And he said, Oh, that's my sister. Did you hear that one, Preston, by the way? No, I did not. I missed that one. I was talking about the girl that bore a striking resemblance to Katie McBanawa that came in. You know, he, he's actually on the jail phone call telling his mother, that Wendy came into the court and he didn't recognize her. And he's heard about, you know, these kind of groupies that, that are drawn to uh, murder suspects. He turned around and saw a, a girl with, that he was kind of looking at her. And then there was a girl next to her in a blue dress who he thought was really pretty cute, started smiling and nodding at her. And she was kind of waving and nodding back at him. And then his attorney came over and said, Hey, it's not a good look for you to be kind of communicating with Wendy in the courtroom before she testifies. And he said, Oh, that's my sister. I didn't know that. That's maybe that's I, maybe that's, that's why he's got that uh blinking tick going on. Maybe he just can't see. Maybe that's what it is. Um Well, you know, a maestro never knows all the names of those playing the instruments in the band, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is a good point. Uh Stephen Webster, this is something that's come up. I'm glad Yaya 
uh, Yaya Simple Living is asking this. Um, I've gotten some emails and texts about this. Do you think Dan Rashbaum, of course, the uh, defense attorney, knew Donna Adelson and Harvey Adelson were going to try and flee the country? And is it a problem for him if he knew or can be dis- or can he be deposed about it? Interesting question. Yeah, it, it, it's really troublesome on that call that people refer to now as the hot mic call where Donna clearly doesn't know that she still has a live recording going on of what, she, of what she's saying to Harvey in the background. And she makes mention about that she spoke to Dan and he said that things are still moving up there. Um, and she makes basically a statement that that Dan warned her that she may they may not have a time, even enough time to do what they were talking about doing. And it's clear from the context of that that she was talking about fleeing the country. Yeah. Um, uh, Stephen, hang on right there, because the COE, we have that sound. We're going to play it right now and then you can uh, fill in all the blanks. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, going to make a decision at some point. Going to make a decision at some point. So after speaking to Dan this morning and knowing what they're thinking up there, I don't know if we'll make it out in time. I really don't. But Dan said, you might, or you might get all of it, get to the airport, and that could happen. It could happen. I don't know, but it's worth a try. Uh, there it is. Let, let's listen to that one more time. Just real. Look, here we go. Going to make a decision at some point. So after speaking to Dan this morning and knowing what they're thinking up there, I don't know if we'll make it out in time. I really don't. But Dan said, "You might, or you might get all of it, get to the airport, and they'll stop us. And that could happen. It could happen. I don't know, but it's worth a try." <laughs> Dan? Dan as in Dan Rashbaum. Um yeah, Dan so Dan said you might. Wow. Yeah. Uh let's Stephen, uh your take, and then we'll get uh Preston's obviously got his uh a dedicated take to this. But Stephen, so we just heard that. Well, I'm gonna do my best Louis Baptiste impersonation, and I'm gonna actually cite to a rule by number. Uh, it's rule 4-8.4, the rule, Florida Rules of Professional Conduct, subsection D. And it says that an attorney shall not engage in conduct in connection with the practice of law that is prejudicial to the administration of justice. <clears throat> if what Donna seems to be saying occurred in that conversation with Mr. Rashbaum, it's really troublesome to me. Um, and, you know, it could arguably go even further than that. Um, it's one of the most trouble, troubling things I heard in all of those uh, phone calls that I've listened to thus far uh, is the idea that an attorney would almost kind of be counseling people on how to possibly flee uh, the country and avoid prosecution that somehow or another he uh, received information might be imminent. It's really troublesome. But as far as being deposed, I think he absolutely could be deposed on that. You know, it's what's interesting here is I, the waters are so muddy as to who he represents. Uh, that it's hard to even understand who he represents at this point. Um, But every time they go on these phone calls and they talk about their conversations with Dan, even assuming that he represents them, they waive that privilege. They know at the beginning of these phone calls, they are advised that they are being monitored and they're being listened to and they could be used. So there is no expectation of privacy here. 
if a client goes out and they share with an outside third person our privileged and private communications with that outside third party, they are no longer privileged in private communications and they are fair game. And especially when you're talking about something that could arguably be violative of court orders, rules, et cetera. So it's, it's real, real perilous waters that uh, Mr. Rashbaum is being thrust into by virtue of Donna Adelson's comments. Mm. Uh, SP says she just busted a lawyer followed by, she just implicated Rashbaum in their escape attempt followed, followed here by Dan wouldn't be in trouble if he actually told law enforcement. Uh, I think that the state's attorney's office, state attorney's office said that um, it was a woman who knew um, Charlie, I think, that was tipping them off as far as I know. But Preston, what do you make of this? Well, I just wrote down a question. And, and again, I, anyone wants to take a shot at it. Could Dan Rashbaum be be, you know, charged aiding and abetting a, a potential escape from the country. I mean, that was advice that she quoted him giving, saying that you could try, right? I mean, isn't that what she said? That he said you can try? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's uh, let's listen to it one more time because it's interesting. The language is interesting. So after speaking to Dan this morning and knowing what they're thinking up there, I don't know if we'll make it out in time. I really don't. But Dan said, you might, or you might do all of it, get to the airport, and they'll stop. And that could happen. It could happen. I don't know. But it's worth a try. She says, I don't know if we'll get out in time, but Dan said you might. Peter, uh, you haven't weighed in on this. Uh, what do you think of this particular call where Don Adelson is essentially saying that her son's defense attorney was telling her to... Um, to, to make a run for it. Um, I find it really fascinating because how can the lawyer defend himself as, if he's charged without violating solicitor client privilege? Like how can he openly say what he knows without breaking that? And if he does break that, then everything you'd think would be thrown open. Like you'd think um, Eureka. Um, another thing that hit me was that um, just people's need to speak. Uh, a really, really good journalist a long time ago told me just, just shut up when you're doing an interview, ask a question and sit back and don't say anything. And if you do say something, say, I don't understand. Um, and that's for print. Like, we don't have to fill the air and we don't have to look smart. We just have to take quotes. And so it's, it's easier. But the, but the best quotes I've gotten are saying, I don't understand four or five times. And then someone shouts it at me. You know, like people somehow need to need to fill that space. And um I can't believe that she's talking like this, like an intelligent person um, who raised a lawyer and she's saying stuff that um, uh, you, you, all of a sudden you're picturing her lawyer on the on the on the stand. I, um, and if he's on the stand, geez, you know, to defend himself, doesn't he have to throw everything open? Yeah. Well, I was going to ask Stephen. Stephen, does a attorney client privilege extend if if an attorney will leave Dan out of this? if an attorney is engaged in something that could be charged as a crime? <clears throat> well, you know, the, the privilege is the clients, okay? So that's a really tough question to answer just in general terms, right? Mm -hmm. That just because the attorney engages in some sort of improper conduct wouldn't necessarily waive the client's privilege. But here where the they're kind of working together, if, you're, if you look at this from a kind of a sinister viewpoint, um, 
then you know, there's a crime fraud exception that generally applies to most uh, privileges or, or confidential matters. Uh, like even with our with like mediation, when you go to mediation, it's confidential and privileged. But there's a crime fraud exception there if something illegal was taking place in the mediation. The courts would understand and would allow you to come out and violate the confidence. So yeah, there. It, it, it certainly could be developed. I think all of this information could be developed and neither party, I don't think, would have, uh, you know, any grounds to, to hide behind a privilege. You know, if wow. what he said seems to say, you know, I mean, it, it seems that she's saying that Dan said you might be able to get out. It's worth a try. If, you know, he really said those words to her, I do believe that that would violate the rules of professional conduct. By the way, wow. uh, this this coming Tuesday, don't forget, Monday night is or Monday. Uh, Merry Christmas to all. And uh, it will be Christmas with Karn. But Tuesday, uh, before I head to Canada, the home of uh, contract killers, um, on Tuesday, we're <laughs> going to have a uh, a former high school friend of Charlie's who also knows Wendy, knows Wendy better because he's also an attorney. Uh, he's going to be on the show and he's met both, uh, hung out with them all. Uh, knows them and uh, is speaking out. So that will be Tuesday inside the Adelson family circle on Tuesday. Uh, Bill Davis with a super sticker that I've not looked at till right now. Attorney Webster, Stephen Webster, in Charlie's trial, Wendy's divorce attorney claimed she recused herself due to circumstances that would cause her to be a witness as opposed to a lawyer. Do you know what she was talking about? It's been a lot of years now, almost 10 since I looked at those files. But my recollection is that that was related to Dan's claims of kind of contumacious behavior uh, by Wendy. And he he took umbrage with some of the things that the attorney had done. And so I think she reached a point where she felt like because of the allegations that he was making, she had to step out of the role of attorney and actually come in as a witness. Uh, Stephen, uh, when you're the only attorney on the panel, uh, sometimes you're going to get tossed these questions. This is from uh, Humorous Four. Will they call Rob Adelson? He's the estranged uh, son slash brother, uh, the oldest son to testify against Donna since he is estranged from the family because Donna doesn't like who he married. What do you think? Uh, he wasn't called in this last trial with Charlie. I've never spoken to him, but I have spoken to people that know him. And it seems to me as though he has some information that would be relevant um, to the case. I don't know. I have, like I said, I have not spoken to him firsthand, but I, I heard he may have emails where they talk about uh, the birthday party and things like that, that, it, that maybe some of the testimony that was offered by Wendy, um, you know, wasn't exactly true or Charlie as well. Um, you know, which brings me to a little point, if I can, just real fast here. Yeah, Joel. sure. You know, Charlie. He laments, uh, as uh, as we were saying earlier, he really marinates in his victimhood. But one of the things that he really, you know, cries foul over um, is how the jury just didn't even take time to deliberate. Um, you know, the bottom line is this. Just because you can say something doesn't mean it's true. And jurors don't have to accept some concoction that, you know, you've landed on 10 years later. Um, and just because you can say it and say it consistently doesn't mean that anybody has to lend an ounce of credibility to it. Um, for example, I mean, the same thing could be said with, with respect to Wendy. You know, uh, Wendy testified that her book had nothing to do with Tallahassee. She couldn't even remember the name of the town that was, you know, it was, what? 
I have no idea, right? But see, I chose not to believe Wendy on that. And that was my prerogative, right? And that's, if I were a juror, you know, I would be the, the you know, the trier of the facts and it would be within, you know, my province to decide whether or not I believed Wendy on that particular point. Interestingly enough, it turns out that Charlie and Donna don't even believe Wendy. You know, they constantly throughout the phone calls are talking about how, you know, Charlie is livid about the fact that Wendy wrote that book deriding Tallahassee and demeaning Tallahassee. And he blames it, you know, in a large part for his conviction. So it's interesting that, you know, Charlie didn't, he somehow, he didn't deliberate on that fact with Wendy. And he also doesn't believe Wendy when she said she didn't drive by the crime scene. He and his mom both basically accept that as a, as a truism at this point, that she did drive by the crime scene. And once again, he blames that for his conviction. See, see, Charlie, that's how it works, my friend. See, you can listen to somebody testify and you can decide, I don't believe that person. I think they are lying, as you did with your sister on at least those two occasions, if not more. And see, and the rest of us did the same thing with your testimony, Charlie. We heard your story. We didn't believe it for one second. That's why I didn't need one second to dismiss it or discard it when you were finished testifying, just like mm. the jury didn't either. But they did at least take time to get a good lunch, and I'm glad they got a good lunch. <laughs> uh, Ethel Etixen became a YouTube member. I don't know if... Uh... Ethel's going to take this well, but it's a beloved name in our family because it's my boxer's name, my boxer Ethel. Uh, so Ethel and Ethel share a name. So welcome to uh, Ethel. Casey chiming in saying they are criminal bloopers. Um, <laughs> what incentive? Uh, I don't know, Peter, if you can answer this because some of these are legal questions, but I'm going to throw it to you anyway, Peter, because you're a smart guy and you've been doing this for a very long time. What incentive would Charlie or Donna have for flipping on Wendy uh, any possible, you probably don't know the the American uh, jurisprudence, the law on this, but what's your take on a, a bigger, uh, you know, just more macro uh, wise, do you think that these people will start to flip on each other? Uh, there's a lot in treatment. I mean, the, if you're in there for a long time, there's um, uh, different levels of tough. I mean, I've got a guy who phones me sometimes on Sundays, depending on who's around him, and he... Um, uh, he's excited because he gets $200 worth of chocolate next week. You know, like like that means a huge amount to him. So I don't know if they're at that stage yet, but that's um, that's something. The mother bond is huge, though. Well, one thing I, I can't get, get over, too, is that if you're a dental surgeon, you're used to just, you get to control the conversation and nobody talks back, you know, for a whole bunch <laughs> of reasons. So <laughs> it's, I sort of see this as a dentist from hell, too. Like it's, That's like, a good yikes. point. When you're working on somebody that their mouth wide open with stuff in there, it's hard to talk. So that's, by the way, Peter, uh, the the uh, PSS Philadelphia shoulder. I can't say it's very hard to say shoulder surgery. I need to hire Preston to say it for me. Uh, have you read all those books behind you? And which one is your favorite? That was the question. Um, uh, I mean, the, it's funny, but I keep going back to "In Cold Blood" by Truman Capote. Is is the type of stuff that I try to do, that's where it started. And so um, whenever I'm stuck, I go back to that. And um, uh, there, there are a couple that uh, Peter Moss was really, really good to me uh, very early on in my career. The guy wrote Serpico and uh, Vlanti mm -hmm. Papers. And he, he actually let me into his place and showed me some paperwork and extremely nice. And so, and he made it seem human, you know, that um, I was really lucky early on to get to meet some, um, uh, some good writers who just made it seem like a real thing. Alice Monroe, who won a Nobel Prize, her daughter actually went to my high school, and so she went to speak to us, and she was scared of the kids. That was kind of sweet that 
they're arguably the best, you know, writer in the world, at least for short stories, was scared of us. And, mm -hmm. um, and she gave us advice, you know, start with little things and um, uh, just do what you write, what you mm -hmm. know. And I, I don't know. So the short answer is I've, I've read most of them and I've forgotten most of them and I should reread <laughs> them again. Well, <laughs> is Helter Skelter in the library? Um, I've had that. Some of that stuff kind of scares you too. Like the, um, the psychological ones, I long, long time ago thought of, of being a shrink and I'm glad I didn't because I can step out of their minds. Like I don't, I can turn it off, um, to be, um, listening to some of the stuff, um, forever. Um, I mean, there's one guy I've, I've talked to who is in prison for murdering seven people and the estimate is probably done 15 and you just don't want to, like, you want to be able to walk away when, if you, do talk to him. You don't want. Um, you want to know where the door is, and you want to have control of that. Um, your uh, background, straight out of Central Casting. I always pictured like a Canadian prison, looking <laughs> like a high school cafeteria, like really clean, nice, neat, everyone welcoming you in. Not like American prisons, but maybe I'm wrong. Who knows what's going on? Uh, Peanut Gallery here, uh, gifting a membership. So thank you there. Uh, there was a question. Here's a super sticker, Charlie. Uh, called Adana that had a tail end hot mic. Could that hot mic period be excluded? The call with the prisoner terminated and Donna thought the call terminated. Florida is a two party state. Stephen Webster, this is your world. It's a good question, but I don't believe that it would be excluded. There's, there's case law out there that says, for instance, if you go to my house and you open up your emails on my house, at my house on my computer and you don't close it out or you don't password protect it and you leave it kind of logged in. If I go read your emails, I'm not violating your privacy because you basically made it possible for me to do so uh, through your own neglect or carelessness. Uh, and I think the same principle would apply here. Uh, Donna was told that as long as that line was active, she was going to be recorded. The fact that she didn't understand or she, she incorrectly believed it disconnected, that's on her. Um, and But it's a good question, and it would be an interesting legal argument for sure. Uh, here's another one for an attorney from Mac19, friend of the show, who sent us in some very cool uh, stuff for CrimeCon, which we are now dubbing CarmCon. So she made us some graphics, and we're going to make some uh, shirts for that. Per Charlie Adelson's complaints, he did not and cannot get a fair trial in Tallahassee. We talked about this a little bit, obviously. Do we know if many of Charlie Adelson's jurors knew nothing about his case or if most or all knew a little something. Uh, how does that work, Stephen Webster? You know, that does does Judge Everett interview these jurors after the fact? Uh, how, how do we find that information out? That would have been done during Vaudire, and they certainly would have been asked that question during Vaudire. And I would imagine that most of the folks on there knew something about the case. Uh, if they didn't, if I were a lawyer, I would be suspicious if they said they didn't. Either they were they had a different agenda, they were a sleeper, or they were so uh, disconnected from our society here that I wouldn't trust them anyway. Uh, I would imagine that most of them knew something of it. You know, the real question that the judge asked them is, can you set that aside, what you may have heard about the case outside of court, and listen solely to the evidence that's presented here in court, and focus on that evidence only and rely only on that evidence in reaching a verdict in this case. And if the juror says, I can do that, then the court's going to take them at their word for it, and they're going to be capable of sitting uh, as a juror. Hmm. This is not both Joel. Well. Joel. Go ahead. As an aside, well, as an aside, I had several members of my radio audience email me, and they were in the 
prospective jury pool. And when they were brought back and asked questions with the attorneys and uh, the district, the, the state attorney and the judge, uh, he said, well, listen, I listen to Preston Scott and I agree with him. I think he's guilty. <laughs> <laughs> now you know why Charlie hates you. Uh, well, you know, they weren't seated. Uh, they, they were very honest. They said, look, we've, we've listened to the presentation of the evidence that's been made public because, as we all know, a lot of this case was made very public, uh, if no other place in the podcast um, that was done. And, of course, 2020, I mean, there have been so much. And so I simply presented the, the case as, as I thought it laid out, and a lot of people agreed. And so, yeah, it was just it was just interesting to get emails from people that said, yeah, I, I got out of the jury pool. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I would have wanted to get out of that. Uh, Preston, I'm growing more worried for you as I hear more and more about uh, Charlie uh, listening to your show. Look at this. Montreal is freezing. Even for Canadians, uh, my little boy picked up a windbreaker and asked if that's what he was wearing in Canada. And I said, no. So, um, but I think I'm going to try to go. What does that say? Visit Canada or else. What does that say? Visit Canada or else. I love it. Uh, there you go. <laughs> um, Just doing my part. There you go. Look at this from KCL, good friend of the show. Uh, she, she's been following the Shanna Gardner case very closely. She says Charlie's anger at Wendy is growing uh, Peter, do you think we've seen the last of this? Um, it does seem like a lot of uh, resentment is bubbling up. And keep in mind, Peter, he's not been transferred to state prison yet. He's at a, like a reception area. Sounds nicer than it is in the panhandle. But he's going to eventually go to state prison. As the reality sets in, do you think there's an increased chance, Peter, that he turns on his sister? You got me, Peter? Uh, my, th the guy I'm talking to is now, I, I'm like talking to him a lot about custody and yikes. I mean, he's kind of, um, I mean, he, hey, without sounding too graphic, I mean, he's going to have a pretty rough time in there and, um, and he's going to have to be able to pay people off and he's going to have to be able to get people to help him out. And um, he's sort of just what they want. I mean, they can, they can squeeze him and get things. And so, um, it's going to get worse and worse. I mean, this guy I'm talking to who is so excited about $200 worth of chocolate. I mean, that's yeah. it. He, that's all he wants in life, $200 worth of chocolate and leave him alone. Um, someone going from a position of power, even even the music they listen to, um, how controlled that is. And you have to, um, up here, you, you use someone's computer where they're getting disclosure and you, you put in a little a memory stick and you get to listen to it. And you, you don't want to talk about where the memory stick came from because it, it kind of ruins the mood of the music, but it's it's not a pleasant place and it doesn't get better. I imagine um, a lot of the people in prison can just sort of um, smell an opportunity, and this guy's got it written all over him. Uh, he's, he thinks way. he's tough and he's not, and he's gonna. Yeah, I, I'd be very happy. Oh, with Two hundred dollars worth of chocolate. We have a little weird delay. Go ahead, Peter. I'm sorry. Oh no, it's just um, this guy has. For all the danger signs, this guy sort of has a pretty much all of it. You know, he's entitled. He um, also, I mean, it looks like he tried to screw over people who aren't his nationality. That That's not going to sit too well. Um, he, he kind of um, threw people down the river who are connected to a major crime group. That's not going to go over too well. Um, 
a lot of people in there are looking for things to get offended over. And if you're in for life, you, you can kind of do whatever you want for the first 15 or 20 years and then kind of get nice when you approach 25 and maybe you'll get something. But um, yikes, you know, is, is sort of what I'd say to him. Yeah. Um, real quick, Peter, and I'm going to have press. Okay, I'm just kind curious. Of we, we, talk, <laughs> yeah, we talked about uh, Honey and uh, Barry Sherman. Do you have a theory on that case? If you guys don't know the story, Google Barry and Honey Sherman in Toronto, Canada, billionaire. Uh, the couple was murdered. Do you have a theory on on who did this and why, Peter? Um, I don't want to disappoint you, but to be honest, no. Like that's one of the ones that would that would fry my brain, and I and I can sort of the bandwidth I'd need for that one. I can do twenty other other cases. So I, I've I've actually stepped away from that. Like I, I'm not. Um, it's being covered well, so I. Um, but but they're they're different levels of of killers, and and anyone can kill someone, but to kill someone and get away with it is is a different skill, and um, those people are out there. Um, there's there's one hit in Toronto where the guy's supposed to have gotten a hundred thousand, and you know any fool can pull a trigger, but it's it's getting away and keeping quiet and. If you're going to uh, kill people that level, you're going to you know hire someone that level. A few more minutes and we'll start to wrap up. This is another one, and, and there's one more piece of sound, but from Jonathan Judd to Stephen Webster, if Don Adelson makes it to trial, does the panel think that they will convict her quicker than Charlie was with the weight of evidence against her? Uh, it's, again, putting the cart ahead of the horse here, but what do you think, uh, Stephen Webster, at first blush? I don't know. It's, it's hard to beat uh, that record. That, that the jury set for Charlie, uh, three hours with lunch on a, a, you know, a case that was multiple days in Florida. That's a quick jury, even by our standards. You know, we're not like California where they can stretch out a misdemeanor to a three-week trial. I mean, for us, this was a long trial. So to have a three-hour deliberation or less than three hours is, it's telling. And, you know, Charlie wants to say he dismisses it as the jury not paying any attention and we're having preconceived notions. Um, you know, I disagree. I, I like Preston said earlier, I think Charlie has a he has like kind of uh, it's kind of a uh, convenient amnesia that he suffers from. But for the rest of us who don't suffer from that condition and actually remember the evidence against him and haven't lost sight of the fact that he paid two, uh, more than two hundred thousand uh, dollars to the people that murdered his brother in law um, and then sat quiet, you know, and even like Wendy, if she was asked on the stand if she was aware that Charlie stapled the money. Right. And she said, no, I, I wasn't familiar with that. I didn't know that. Now, I find that. See, I personally don't believe Wendy on that point. either. see, I, I, I feel like that's such a bizarre idiosyncrasy that if your brother did it, you, and especially when other people knew about it, it was it seems like several people knew that that was his kind of weird thing as he would staple together stacks of hundred dollar bills. Um, see, you know, Charlie didn't come forth early on and say, oh, to the state attorney's office. You don't have to worry about establishing that. I can explain that to you. You know, see, I, I, I do that. But the reason why the murderers had it is because I was being extorted. No, see, Charlie sat quiet for nine years and made the state go through the labor of proving all of these things. And it's only when the mountain of proof and evidence, and like Preston said, the circumstantial evidence became so overwhelming through the labors and efforts of the state attorney's office and the law enforcement agencies involved that suddenly Charlie came forward with all of these explanations, you know, that he was being extorted. So, you know, 
I um I I I don't know that Donna's jury can come back any faster, but I don't expect a different result at all. If if a reasoned jury comes in, you know, Charlie points to the juror number 15 who and you know it points to him like, you know, he was the reason juror. No, he was the outlier. You know, there there were 12 people that returned a guilty verdict in less than three hours. So they obviously they must be the standard bearers for reason at this point, because there's only one out of that group that's an outlier, and it was 15, not the 12. So I but I still expect to, you know, depending upon if Donna takes the stand, which I would expect, and if she behaves the way that she's behaved thus far, then it actually she may actually beat the land speed record uh, for a guilty verdict at this point, which stands at just under three hours. Yeah. Uh, coffee cake. This is an interesting question. Jeff Lacasse, who testified, a very uh, strong witness for the state, uh, Wendy's ex-boyfriend. Have you seen him surface anywhere, Preston? Does anyone no? No, not at all. Webster? And I don't blame him. I mean, he wants nothing to do with this. He'll testify if he has to. My goodness, he wants to get on with his life. Yeah, yeah. Steve, has, do you know if anyone's, you know, has he been talked about around town or no? I, I, I just, I think he's doing well. And, you know, and I think he um, I think he probably is satisfied that, you know, he's being vindicated um, by by the, the arrests and the, the convictions that we have here now. Um, and, you know, this guy, there's no doubt about it in my mind that they wanted to frame him. I don't know that they wanted him actually, you know, to be prosecuted. I think they were satisfied with just this cloud of suspicion hanging over his head and forever. Um, but, you know, that. It's it's unfathomable what he went through, um, and I'm glad that now there is no doubt that he was innocent, and they they didn't ultimately tarnish his name and reputation, um, and that he's seeing some justice being served. Um, Preston, what about the fact that we haven't heard from a single juror? You probably had all twelve on your uh, show, and I just missed it. But um, what about that? We haven't heard from a single one. I'm grateful. I I, I just am. I'm glad that no one's seeking um interviews attention or anything uh they did their job and i I mean quite candidly isn't that kind of the way it's been for most of our judicial system's existence jurors did their duty and they went about living their lives they didn't seek book deals they didn't seek interviews they didn't seek attention they didn't want to cash in they didn't do the morning show with preston scott Uh, personally i would never seek them out um if if one came to me and said, hey, I'd like to talk about this, you'd have to convince me of a reason why, because the verdict has been rendered. You know, I would go so far as to say that I think I think Donna's on a on a on a glide path to a faster verdict, because let's remember this. Charlie only said if they had evidence, they'd have been at the airport 30 days ago. She was at the airport. Mm. And, and I, I think that's remarkably significant. That, they, that not just that, they have her checks, not just the money laundering, literal, but they have checks that she wrote to Katie McBanua for work that she never did. I mean, there there is a mountain of direct evidence to, for her, in my opinion. I think Charlie was the hard conviction. Um, I think Donna's far easier. Uh, the COE is quick and strong. She pulled up some tape. Let's listen to this, Preston. Trust me, like, I'm... I, and I don't, I don't have access to like what people have access to, but I, I know I wake up in the morning at 30 in the morning, and like this morning I, I have the radio listening to it. The guy's talking about my case and legal experts on talking about things. 
Doesn't say your yeah, name, like, Preston, but trust me. Like, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't have access to like what people have access to, but I, I know I wake up in the morning at 7:30 in the morning, and like this morning, I, I have the radio listening to it. The guys talking about my case and legal experts on talking about things. Thank God he doesn't have internet in there, Preston. There it is. What are you, are you really surprised by this? I. I'm a little surprised to be honest with you. I mean, we're we're about the only show in town, so it's it's kind of like saying, you know, your favorite sister when you only have one. Um, the the one thing that I would just if if somehow you know fate smiles on this show and Charlie happens to come across it as well, I would just remind him there's another hour and a half. He needs to get up at six o'clock. <laughs> and if you can't get up and catch the whole show, there's a podcast on the iHeartRadio app. You can listen to it whenever you like. There you go. One more piece of sound. Let's listen to this together. Uh, we'll get final thoughts and uh, close out this lovely afternoon show. Here we go. So the things that we want is for him to, we'll, we'll talk about in more detail later. I'll tell her I thought at first you needed to come here, but I realized that you know most of everything we can do I'll have to tell her we're leaving the country. Uh, not, if they're not recording my phone. If they are, if they are able to just stop. You know, I mean, what am I going to do? I can't write it. Dan, just don't put anything in writing. I, I can't. What am I supposed to do? Uh, should I? I can't. So I'm, I'm supposed to call Dan, but that line is that line is. I don't have a private line. So they're going to either hear me tell Dan to tell call Annie, or they're going to hear me tell Annie. They might as well hear me. Yeah. I mean, what's the option? Uh, Peter, I'm going to go back to Stephen and press on this. But Peter, what about, you know, this case has been going on since 2014. And you can bet that they have been looking over their shoulder for those nine plus something years. How much does it wear on people after they've committed a crime to know that they're being hunted. I, I it, it really, really depends. But I, I think um, at, a lot of times people start offering explanations for questions that weren't asked yet, or they they um, they assume other people are as much into it as they are, and they start throwing out things they shouldn't. It's um, it's amazing how a lot of people don't know how to just just be quiet and and let it pass. Um, the smart people I've talked to who've gotten away with things will, you know, offer you a donut and say nothing. You know, they don't, they don't don't have the need to fill the air. And um, with Donna, there's there seems to be this this odd neediness to dominate things when she just doesn't have. Um, she doesn't seem bright enough. She doesn't seem nice enough, and she doesn't seem innocent enough to um, to try that. Yeah. It, 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 let's listen to this one more time because it amazes me how dumb she is in terms of just speaking openly <laughs> on these calls. She has no idea. I mean, no offense to my mother, who is far from dumb, but we probably do the same thing. But let's listen because she doesn't have any idea she's being recorded. Uh, Look, going to make a decision at some point. So after speaking to Dan this morning and knowing what they're thinking up there, I don't know if we'll make it out in time. I really don't. But Dan said, you might, or oh, you this might is the other one. I'm playing the other one. Let me bring this one up. I'm sorry. So the things that we want is for him to, we'll, we'll talk about in more detail later. I'll tell her I thought at first you needed to come here, but I realized that you know most of everything we can do, 
Right. I'll have to tell her. We're leaving the country. Uh, not, if they're not recording my phone. If they are, if they are able to just stop. You know. I mean, what am I going to do? I can't write it. Dan, just don't put anything in writing. I, I can't. What am I supposed to do? Uh, should I? I can't. So I'm, I'm supposed to call Dan, but that line is that line is because I don't have a private line. So they're going to either hear me tell Dan to tell call Annie, or they're going to hear me tell Annie. They might as well hear me. Yeah. I mean, what's the option? Uh, Steve, once oh. again, you hear Dan Rashbaum's name invoked there. Uh, Dan told me not to put anything in writing. Your thoughts on this call? I um, I, like I said earlier, it's really confusing to me who Dan represents. It's my understanding he may have represented Donna at the beginning of this thing and then assumed the representation of Charlie after he was indicted. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, it's it's really troublesome kind of what what is being said here um about um you know potentially what the attorney is saying and doing um you know i don't i don't have to take any exception to him saying don't put anything in writing i mean that's the kind of advice i would give somebody frankly if they were my clients you know yeah. the problem is like I, I don't know what her relationship is with him but you know if what like i said earlier if what she said is true that he was advising her it's worth a try to try to make a run to the airport even if it's fruitless if he really said that then i think that that is crossing the line um and it's you know it's really concerning and it's kind of i think what peter was saying earlier about spending too much time in the head of somebody who has psychoses you know it, it's almost as if you know laying down with dogs you wake up with fleas uh, once again, that adage, you know, starts to become true. Hmm. Um, Don and Harvey, this uh, super sticker here, talk about lawyer friends registering as lawyers to jail so Charlie can talk to them. Not recorded, probably uh, relaying information uh, for Don and Harvey. Is that legal, Stephen Webster? I don't think it's illegal. Um, it's there's questions as to whether how ethical that is. Um, the the security of the jail um, is there for a reason. The attorneys are responsible for making sure that that's not violated in any respect, just like anybody else would be. And, you know, if these lawyers are registering under false pretense so that Harvey can talk to Charlie, then, you know, it certainly doesn't pass my smell test per se. I don't think it necessarily means anything improper is occurring. Um, but once again, I don't believe that there would be a privilege there that those lawyers could find themselves being forced to answer questions about that. Because once again, the privilege, who would it exist with? If it exists with Charlie, then why would Harvey or Donna be listening to the phone calls? You know, you waive privilege when you bring in outside third parties who are not underneath the umbrella of privilege. Like, for instance, my paralegal is under my my umbrella of privilege. So she could sit in on a phone call or a client interview and and that would be privileged. But if I bring in a random person, a friend of mine off the street and they they partake or, you know, eavesdrop, listen into the conversation, it's not necessarily privileged. So. You know, it, there's certainly a suggestion that that is going on. I mean, that, that's all throughout the phone calls, too, that they basically use Dan to communicate messages to Charlie. I'm going to talk to Dan and then Don will say, ask Dan, talk to Dan. He'll tell you, you know, what what we talked about. And, um, you know, it, it it certainly doesn't look good. 
Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a final super sticker here. Uh, wouldn't this is an interesting point? Wouldn't Katie Preston rather be serving a shorter sentence for being an extorter after the fact than an accomplice to murder? That's the biggest reason that Charlie's story doesn't make sense. I guess a lot of things don't add up, but uh, probably the person who got the shortest end of this stick and this whole thing in terms of the legal system is Katie McBanawa, don't you think? I yes and no. I mean, she had every opportunity to probably find herself in a much better situation. And let's remember, there's kids there, too. I mean, there's kids everywhere in this that are suffering from the actions of adults. Uh, there's, there's, there's obviously Dan's children. There's, there's Katie's children, uh, fathered by Sigfredo Garcia. There's uh, Charlie's children. I mean, the, the, the damage is, is endless. But I'm... I don't necessarily have a real, I don't know, uh, empathetic heart towards Katie. She had her chance uh, to to say what she did in Charlie's trial originally. And she would have found herself, I think, sentenced very differently. But, Stephen, what do you think? I've heard. I don't know if it's true. You know, you hear courthouses like high school, you know, there's so much rumor and scuttlebutt. But I've heard that. Katie was offered full immunity early on, full immunity if she would cooperate. And if that's true, um, especially given now that we know she's come forward and finally, you know, confessed, if you will, um, that the state's theory all along was correct. And Charlie has now even thrown her right in the middle of it. Um, it's, uh, It's remarkable that if I were her attorney, it would haunt me that somehow I allowed my client to give up full immunity only to be ultimately convicted and then come back after the fact to uh, testify in a trial. Um, so I'm, I'm with you, Preston. You know, she had, if that's true, and even if she had a five-year offer, we know now that she was involved and that the state's theory all along was correct. This was a murder for hire plot. Well, and you know, that's at least as far as Charlie's concerned uh, with respect to Donna, it remains to be proven, but so, yeah, I mean, I don't know now. I, I don't. I certainly don't feel like the state owes her anything. If the state chose to give her some sort of, you know, um, reduction in sentence or some accommodation for the fact that she's finally come clean, you know, and if the Markells didn't necessarily have a problem with it, then it wouldn't bother me one way or the other per se. But I certainly I don't feel like she's entitled to it. No, I agree. By the way, this that was something that didn't come up. I was just going to read about Shelly's kids. That's Dan's sister. She has children. They're all affected by this, too. So the ripple effect. That's what Dennis Murphy from Dateline NBC was talking about on last night's show. It's like a ripple effect in a lake. Uh, The trauma from this is far reaching. So we lost uh, Toronto stars Peter Edwards. Thank uh, him for being on the show. Uh, he's we written, hope it's yeah. just a lost signal, Joel. Exactly. Uh, you know, and not you, something else with what we've discussed here today. It would be an odd coincidence if it happened during our show. I, I would speaking of feeling horrible for uh, being being Katie's attorney. I'd feel horrible if it happened on my show that he was taken out. There he is. He's <laughs> back. Uh, we were just talking that we were hoping you, you were not taken out by a, a hitman, Peter. It's great to see you. Uh, he is the Toronto Star's Peter Edwards. He's the best-selling author of 15 nonfiction books. He writes about the mob, 
The guy is obviously a seasoned journalist. Your final thoughts, Peter Edwards, on what we discussed today? That sounds really corny, but this is why I do nonfiction. I couldn't dream this stuff up. I mean, I um, like there's so much going on here. Every character is interesting. And the final big thing would be that the Dan's mother being against the death penalty because that's what her son believed, and she's respecting that. Um, I think, wow, what character. Um, you know, that she... When I talked to her, there was no talk of revenge. There was a lot of hurt and a lot of sadness. But um, as she was above above going for revenge, I, I, I'm not that good of a person. Julia, love Toronto. Toronto in the house here, Soul Star. We got Canada representing. You've got Preston Scott. He's the host of the morning show with Preston Scott in Tallahassee. Uh, Charlie Adelson's favorite morning uh, talk show listens he still listens to it i bet you he can get it in shipley can you get it in shipley preston joel you can listen to my show around the world on the iheart radio app <laughs> i don't think he has the iheart radio app now i would of course do that um but I'm, in terms of an am reach or is it fm it's fm isn't it it's fm does FM. it reach? You no think it reach? I, I i know where charlie is um, full disclosure, I am on the Florida Foundation for Correctional Excellence. It's a board put together by the Secretary of Corrections and the governor. I sit as a board member. Uh, we try to help outcomes. I know where he is. Uh, I know what they're doing at the reception center. They're doing a series of evaluations, and, uh, and then they'll assign him. And I will also tell you that what happens from that point forward is a little bit luck of the draw. Uh, where Charlie ends up going, we'll have a lot to say about what happens to Charlie. Mm. Uh, we're going to have to stay tuned to that. Let me tell you something. Everyone here knows scariest scenario in my life would be going to state prison for life. Uh, Charlie, I don't think understand understands what he is fully getting into. Papa Bear, she comes to us from Moscow, Idaho, the now infamous home of the Idaho Four, those murders. Uh, she's a friend of the show. Happy Hanukkah. She's wishing us thank you so much. Continued best in 2024. Happy holidays to everyone. Uh, Steve Webster, your final thoughts. He's one half of Webster and Baptiste. Louis Baptiste, a phenomenal guest as well. Uh, Stephen was Dan Markell's post-divorce attorney. I got to ask, where is Louis Baptiste on his honeymoon? Are you allowed to tell us? I think he's in Thailand right now. Mm. I, think in, I think he's in Phuket right wow. now. Uh, no, I, hope, I hope he's enjoying him. He could watch us and he could watch Preston too. There you are. Listen, at least, at least, but Steven, your final thoughts. Uh, right now I picture someone, I picture someone on the beach in Phuket, no tsunami, of course. And they're listening to Preston yeah. Scott on the beach there with that glistening green and blue water. Go ahead, Steven. Yeah. I, uh, I don't wish any ill on Charlie outside of him serving his sentence. I will say that Agreed. I don't, I don't wish cruelty on him or any prisoner. You know, I, a civilization should be judged by the way they treat their poor and their, you know, their prisoners. And I, I want him to be treated humanely and not only because of my own kind of personal feelings about that, but also, you know, and it's hard to remind myself and I need to remind myself that Dan's children loved, love Charlie. You know, he's their uncle and I, I trust that they love him. Um, and I, I hate it. And my heart breaks for all of the suffering that they have endured. That is just unimaginable. But as Preston said earlier, I also take 
satisfaction in, in knowing that there is some semblance of justice being meted out finally uh, for the Markells and for Dan. Um, you know, I pray for all the children, and I think we need to try to remain kind of sensitive to that. Going back to, it's real easy to sit here, and I and if the, if they ever watch a show like this and they see me sitting here, I want to just reiterate: you'll never understand how much your father loved you. I had a chance to see it. I'd never seen anything like it, and that's the truth. As I sit here today in this chair, still, I've never seen a more dedicated father than Dan Markell was to the both of you. And I know that you probably don't like some of the things that I have said, and I apologize to you if that is the case. I never wanted to do anything to increase any of your suffering. But for those of us who wanted justice for Dan Markell, we do take satisfaction in knowing that Charlie Adelson is going to serve life in prison. It's deserved. He earned that, and he needs to serve that. But I want you also to know that I don't wish for any additional suffering to befall you and your family. And that goes for all the children, Shelly's children, um, all of the family members that are affected by this, all of the kids. That extends to to uh, Charlie's son. My heart breaks for you, too, young man. And I, you know, you don't deserve this. Um, and I hope that it doesn't define your life in a negative way. I hope that you can find some peace in it. And that goes for all of them. Uh, best guest, most articulate, better community, as I like to say. Thank you uh, to Peter Preston and Stephen Webster, who needs to change his name to a P, so there's alliteration all the way around. I'll call myself Poel. Uh, until next time, we'll be back at 12.30 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Gigi McKelvey of Pretty Lies and Alibis with all of that sound. Uh, the COE reminding everyone to hit the like button and subscribe. We're trying to get to 100,000 I don't think there's any way we can do it before the new year unless everyone shares this show with their friend and their friend and their friend. Perspectives on Trial Life uh, live tomorrow night with Ruth Markell, Dennis Murphy of Dateline, Dave Arenberg, and yours truly moderating 7 p.m. in Sunrise, Florida, being put on by Jafco. They foster children. They do amazing work, so support Jafco. Uh, until then, love you, America. Love you, Canada. Love you, Toronto. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up 
for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. 